Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Today, we're joined by Jordan Acker, and Jordan is a regent at the University of Michigan. He is a Michigan graduate, and he's actually the youngest regent to graduate in this 21st century. So he's not exactly a 70-year-old guy sitting around with a long history to look back on. He's got most of his career in front of him, but he's had some amazing experiences up to this point. He worked in uh, President Obama's White House as an associate in the White House Office of Presidential Personnel, and then he worked with Secretary Janet Napolitano in the Department of Homeland Security, focusing on cyber, immigration, and homeland security issues, which I think are incredibly relevant today. And I invited Jordan to talk to us a little bit about college athletics and, and the University of Michigan, and, and um, I'm going to welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to do this. Well, let's let's start with the news that broke overnight, which is um, the new Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, launching a, a, an anti-race, anti-hate, uh, anti-racism, anti-hate coalition that's going to embrace nearly everybody that, that touches the Big Ten. It would be students, it would be athletes, it would be coaches, it would be presidents, it would be, I'm sure, athletic directors. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's a great, great place to start. Um, on our campus overnight, for example, yesterday we had uh, a protest on campus protesting the, the, the murder of Mr. Floyd. And we had athletes, we had Coach Harbaugh show up. And I think it's something that's really important. Uh, and it crosses party lines, it crosses uh, demographics all throughout the Big Ten footprint. And I think it's a really great way of bringing us all together, whether you're in Minneapolis, where all of this happened, whether you're in Detroit, Chicago, or further east, uh, I guess we could say Philadelphia is part of the Big Ten footprint now, New York. Um, the commissioner would definitely say New York's part of the Big Ten footprint. Absolutely. And, and the one thing that we can see is that Big Ten athletics can bring everyone together. Uh, we can make sure that um, this kind of hatred, this kind of activity is not okay. And I think sports are always a great way of bringing it together. And we've seen it already. Like I said, on our campus, uh, Isaiah Livers and Jim Harbaugh walking uh, down the street together with a, a bunch of former football players. Uh, it's really fantastic to see. Athletics plays such an important role. Um, when you joined the, the Regents in 2015 or 2018, yep. was, what was your motivation? What caused you to want to become a Regent? So Michigan is one of a few states where the regents are publicly elected. Um, so you're on the ballot in November, along with the governor and the senator and people in Congress. Um, but it's a really interesting process. It's that the people are, for the most part, nominated by the parties. Uh, so it's mostly an insider's game normally. Uh, and I knew that as a young person, that would never happen. Um, I tell people that I wanted to be on the Board of Regents, and I'll tell you why in, in a minute. Uh, I'll just go through the process a little bit. But people would say, that's crazy. Young people aren't Regents. That's for, you know, other people. And, and, and I think about the issues affecting uh, academics today, affecting athletics today, uh, affecting our hospital system today. These things are things that young people have to have a voice at the table for. Uh, so not only would I say that young people can be regents, can be trustees of universities, I think they should be. Uh, I think, I think uh, about a story, uh, actually I went to a, a conference right after I was elected and I was sitting next to a new Michigan State trustee, a woman named Kelly Tebe, who's actually younger than me. Um, 
and we were sitting there and these trustees were talking about, uh, or they were giving a presentation on issues and the trustees had no idea what they were talking about. It was talking about gender issues and it went completely overhead and Kelly and I looked at each other and we just said to ourselves, this is why young people need to be in the room. And so what did it look like? I, I put uh, 15, 16,000 miles on my car. I went to every Democratic club meeting, uh, went to over 50 counties. Uh, a friend of mine and I drove to the Upper Peninsula in February, which I don't know if you've been to the Upper Peninsula. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Don't go in February. <laughs> go in the summertime. Um, even the people in the UP would tell you that too. It's gorgeous, but it is cold. Uh, we went up there in February just to show everybody that we were serious about making this happen. And ultimately, you created a drumbeat of, you want people to run for these offices who are going to work hard, who care about the issues, who want to do the right thing. And I, we learned, in, in, while this was all going on, what was going on at Michigan State. So people really took notice of who was running, because we found that uh, it wasn't just experience that made you a good trustee. It was also the ability to listen, to adapt and change. And that's why you need voices, not just older voices, not just middle-aged voices, but young voices on the board as yeah. well. Absolutely. So, but it came down to why did I decide to run? So in the summer of 2016, uh, actually in the spring of 2016, I um, was having back spasms. Uh, and I went to the doctor and I ended up uh, taking uh, muscle relaxant and it shut down my liver. And I found myself at U of M hospital uh, for the second time hospitalized and a group of doctors there, I really believe saved my life. Uh, and I was so incredibly grateful for what they did for me. And it just showed me that it's not just the school, which I'm proud to be a graduate of. It's not just the football team, which I'm a proud to to go support every Saturday. You can see I've got my M hat on right now. I think it's contractually obligated all Michigan graduates to get one of these at graduation. Um, and it wasn't just that, it was also about the hospital. It was also about the impact that the university has on the people of Michigan. And it felt like a place that um, I could serve and I could really help uh, the people. And so I ended up uh, winning uh, at the convention, it was a floor fight. I ended up winning at the convention and uh, was the top vote getter with 1.7 million votes in 2018. Wow. So it's not a simple process. It's a very tiring process. My, I had a, two young kids at home. Uh, it was many difficult nights where I would leave the office at four o'clock. I would drive clear across the state, give a 15 minute speech, take some questions and drive all the way back. Uh, but that's what it required because uh, ultimately, um, these jobs require hard work when you're in them. And they, I think they should require hard work if you're running for them too. That's an amazing story. Um, and, and, you know, how trustees get onto boards is so different from state to state. So do you all have an equal split between Republicans and Democrats on, on the board? No. So actually I defeated an incumbent Republican. Uh, okay. there are, the way it works is you elect two people every two years, for eight year terms. Uh, so uh, going into 2018, it was a five to three Democratic majority. Uh, both Democrats won in 2018. Now it is a seven to one Democratic majority. Um, but the thing that's important about U of M and about these boards in Michigan is that they're usually not very partisan. Uh, you're so focused on the, the 
uh, the importance of the university and everybody from the person on the far right to the far left, when you go into the, the room with your other regents, it's just about what's best for university. Um, and I found that, I mean, one of the, one of the, um, one of the board members is the former chairman of the Michigan Republican Party. We agree on almost nothing politically. He's a big Trump supporter. Uh, I'm not. And yet we put that away when we go into that room because ultimately for us, uh, we both share one thing in common and that is our first love in life is the University of Michigan. Yeah, um, and that that's the most important thing. Don't tell my wife that. I thought I think she might know that already. <laughs> it might be a good model for the rest of the country right now to decide what we all love and put that first, right? It, it's true. It's true, and that's what we see across the board. Is that we may disagree on how to get there, but academic excellence, athletic excellence, medical excellence is what everyone strives for. Uh, period. No matter where you are on the political spectrum. So in your time in the Obama uh, White House, before we get into athletics, you focused on cybersecurity, immigration, and homeland security. How does that inform your work on the board right now? So I think the biggest thing that I take away from my time there, and I spent most of my time in the administration of the Department of Homeland Security, which is the second largest by numbers uh, agency. It includes everywhere from FEMA, immigration, uh, to the Coast Guard. It's all part of Homeland Security. And it's also very decentralized, just like a university is. You have to learn how to turn, uh, what I like to call, it's like turning a giant ship. It requires a tons of hands on the wheel and it takes a long time to move. And I think that way of um, learning the administration, understanding how the systems work to be able to accomplish things, it translates very well from government to, uh, to the university. Oh, interesting. So then I have to ask you, when you walk into Michigan Stadium to watch a home game, does any of that Homeland Security uh, awareness come into when you're watching a game in the stadium? What do you pay attention to? So I'll tell you what it does. So I remember as a kid that Michigan Stadium was always open and you could just walk in at any time and run the stairs. I have friends who went to high school in Ann Arbor said that was punishment. If you didn't work hard enough in basketball practice, you were running the steps at Michigan Stadium on a Saturday morning. And they've closed it. And I, I would say the one thing that is truly amazing to me is how 20 years post 9-11, people have adapted to making sure that they have their bags, making sure that they have everything out, that they're not bringing things they're not supposed to bring in. And with a huge crowd, you're talking, I mean, you're talking about 110,000 people every Saturday to get that happen and to get people into the stadium in a reasonable amount of time shows really how, how impressive it is. Um, I think that it, the, the level of um, what they've been able to do with controlling the crowd and controlling things coming in is just, is, is really, really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously we're in June and Michigan athletics is approaching the fall season. What, what kinds of things are you paying attention to? And do you have enough information do you feel that if you were asked to provide guidance, you could do that? So obviously now we are, what, 12 weeks away from football season. We're about four weeks away, or excuse me, about eight weeks away from the beginning of what would be fall practice. And I think things are still really up in the air. Um, I would say today, I think it's more likely than not that we'll be playing football in the fall. I think, it's, uh, I think that if the players want to play, I think it's going to happen, uh, provided that we have adequate testing, that we're able to take, uh, take care of everybody. But it means not just 
student athletes, we're, all make, we're also making sure that students are back on campus because you can't have one without the other for us. It's a, it's a complete deal breaker. I don't know, maybe at other schools it's not, at Michigan, it's a deal breaker. Um, so I think that we're starting to grow in terms of what, um, what sort of information that we have. I think that everybody is still really up in the air. You know, at this point, I, uh, my personal inclination is that we will not have fans in the stadium in the fall. I think it's actually almost impossible at this point that there will be 100,000 people in the stands in the fall. Um, but that doesn't mean there won't be some fans. Uh, are they going to be uh, people driving in from Detroit or Chicago or Cleveland? Probably not. I could see a situation where students are allowed in the stadium. Um, where they're social distance or they're part of a social distancing family enough that you could bring them in, provided they're getting regular testing, provided they're going to class. Um, but I, I think things are still really up in the air. And I think a level of, of um, not just, I don't want to say modesty, I think the word is just uh, being humble about the situation because it's so much out of our control. We don't, we can't, tell the virus, okay, it's time for you to leave. It's football season now. Uh, we're going to have to deal with this. We're going to have to deal with it for a while. The fortunate thing is for us is that our university is run by an epidemiologist. Uh, the president is an epidemiologist. who's a, uh, So it's literally his specialty. Um, and I've taken a lot of guidance from him on this. I, I've been speaking to him. I'll be the incoming vice chair uh, come July. So I've been speaking to him pretty regularly, maybe once a week and more via email as things go on and understanding where he's at, uh, both as a president as an and as an epidemiologist is really helpful. Uh, it makes it easier for us to make a decision uh, because we'll have some understanding. And the understanding that we've kind of gleaned is that there is a continuum of risk here from high risk to low risk. Uh, and where do we fit, where is football along this risk is going to be a question of do we have adequate testing? Are we able to quarantine? Uh, what, is, what do students' lives like when they get back to Ann Arbor? Um, these are all things that are really in, in question and, and things we don't really have good answers for yet. So I wonder, uh, your next board meeting is when? So our next uh, official board meeting is on the 25th, um, but we will be meeting um, a couple times before then via Zoom to uh, discuss fall plans further. Do you as a region ask for that kind of data? How many tests are we giving? Where are we quarantining? Or do you expect that you've already had those discussions and you expect to see that kind of information? I, I expect at this point that we're gonna see this kind of information. Uh, the university, especially the School of Public Health, has been working really close with the governor's office. Uh, so, uh, whatever Michigan does is really where other schools are going to be and other schools are getting their information from Michigan. And, and, and these, these folks um, are really, really brilliant. They're not going to be in a position where they're putting students uh, at a higher risk category or at higher risk than they need to be. But we do know there's going to be some risk. Um, how do we minimize that risk? How do we minimize outbreaks? That's what having a great public health school really helps you with. Absolutely. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, uh, Coach Jim Harbaugh, very well known. Uh, he's been outspoken on. I'm familiar with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, a couple of weeks ago, he wrote an open letter to the community about advocating for change in the NFL's, uh, you know, drafting plans and, and actually in their structure for eligibility. 
if, if his ideas are implemented, this could impact Michigan's program because simply yep. football players wouldn't stick around as long. How much do you as a region think about those issues? I think about this a lot because I, 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 personally, I feel like the NCAA has been ripe for change for a long time. Um, and I think that Coach Harbaugh, um, to whatever, whatever criticism people have about him, has really been on the cutting edge of this stuff. And to me, I really like that. I like when all of our faculty members, all of our staff, all think, what can I do more to help my students? And for a lot of them, whether you're in athletics, whether you're in our incredible school of musical theater and dance, whether you're in the business school, world-renowned law school, there's a theoretical side to it, but there also is a, how do I help my students get a job part of it, which is a very practical part. Um, and we, don't, we, don't, we never would say to, for example, at the business school, no, you shouldn't go uh, take a million dollar a year job working for Google, right? That would be crazy. We'd never tell a student who is at the School of Musical Theater and Dance, no, you shouldn't go get an internship on Broadway and get paid. That would, that would sully you in some way. I mean, that would be a ridiculous thing to say. In fact, it's so much though at Michigan that one of the selling points in the school musical theater and dance is that they literally rent out Carnegie Hall for agents to come see their talent as seniors. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Like yeah. that's the whole purpose of the education is that you get the theoretical, but you also can get a job. So when it comes to Coach Harbaugh, I think he's thinking down the same lines is how do I prepare my students for the rest of their lives? Is there, if their time is in football is really short, how do we prepare them for beyond that? Whether it's a career in sports, whether it's a career in business, whether it's graduate school. Um, and so I think the way he thinks about this is right on. And I think that ultimately, um, ultimately it's not just about wins and losses. And Michigan's never really about wins and losses. It's really about doing things the right way um, and doing right by our student athletes. Um, and you know, one of the things that, kind of gets lost in the tradition and all of the other things is that for years and years and years, Michigan has been an innovator. Um, you know, we were the first ones to put in uh, turf in the Big Ten, uh, lowering the field, um, the, the helmets with the, with the uh, you know, the, the, the helmets to identify your receivers down the field. This was all the innovation that Michigan provided. And um, I think as Coach Harbaugh continues to look forward, I think it's absolutely the right way of looking at things that we're going to continue to innovate because ultimately what will drive the best student athletes to Michigan is that innovation. That if my coach is thinking about me going pro or having a career after football, then I know that I'm in the right place for me. That's a really refreshing way to look at it because I feel like when so many people write about college sports, they write about Coach Harbaugh and other innovative coaches, they, they tend to think it as, well, he's not like everybody else was. So what's wrong with him? Rather right. than wrong with the system that they came up in, right? That's, it's absolutely right. And, and that's why I think Coach Harbaugh on this has been so refreshing because it's not about their time playing for the University of Michigan. It's how the, what the University of Michigan provides them in terms of an education, in terms of athletics, in terms of life and cultural experience. Um, that's why people were so upset when when he was taking people, remember, he started taking people abroad for, for spring practice. And people said, oh, that's horrible. I can't believe he's giving them a paid vacation. And it's like, hang on a second. Student athletes work very hard. A lot of them do not have the opportunity to study abroad. And a lot of them 
because of this, had two weeks of practice. They learned and were able to go in different culture. And then a lot of them spent their spring semesters in Europe or in South America or in South Africa. That is an incredible opportunity that goes far beyond the football field. Because ultimately, for us, as great as our student athletes are on the field, what they produce off the field is just as impressive. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. So bringing it back to today, you know, we've had so many cities, I think we're up to over 140 now, that are engulfed in protests, both peaceful and some with unfortunately violent actions. How can Michigan, as a national leader in higher education, provide support to all students who are impacted by the tragic death of George Floyd and address how the pandemic has upended their lives? So it's a great question. Um, it is a broad one. You probably need a whole two-hour podcast just on this question alone. But there's one part of it that I think is really important to address. Um, and that is there, Michigan ha has a problem on this. One of the big problems is, is that Michigan has a perception, and unfortunately the perception is sometimes backed up in data, of being a rich kid's school of being a school populated by wealthy white suburbanites. And so we, I hear from students of color all the time, students from rural backgrounds, students from middle class and working class backgrounds, that they don't feel welcome, they don't feel part of the campus. So Michigan, while we've spent the last five years with our great diversity programming, we actually have to do a lot more. We have to make sure that students feel welcome on campus, that they feel part of the campus community, they don't feel alienated from campus, not just from the police, but from the social activities. Because ultimately we found that when students feel like they're welcome on campus, they're going to do better. And uh, for us, a big part of it is making sure that middle-class and working-class students in Michigan have the opportunity just to attend. Um, we, we started uh, the Go Blue Guarantee just a few years ago, which provides uh, free tuition for most middle class and working class Michiganders. In fact, if you make below $65,000 a year, your tuition is free in, at, our, at our Ann Arbor campus. So adding programs like that, because ultimately when our campus is more diverse, we're a better place. Um, and I think for us, feeling like for students feeling like they're not alone, that they belong, goes a long way towards uh, fixing our, our problems on campus. Not the whole way, but for us, it's a big part of it. And it, it's a challenge for us. You know, we're a university that has prided ourselves on diversity. The people of Michigan uh, outlawed affirmative action a few years ago, and it's made it extremely challenging. Um, it's made it harder to um, attract and retain African-American students. Um, and our, that is um, not a good thing for the university, but um, the university administration understands it. They're committed to addressing it head on. And even if we don't do enough today, we're continuing to make sure that we are gonna do more tomorrow because ultimately a diverse campus is the, is the best Michigan in my view. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the last question I want to ask you is, is sort of just looking into the future. If, if uh, football and some of the other sports come back and the athletes are still wanting to protest, want to, wanting to visibly bond together and show what they think about what happened to George Floyd or how their economic, their family economics have changed so dramatically and they're feeling a little bit uh, frustrated with that, 
How do you think Michigan should respond as far as letting them, letting them have a voice? So I think one of, the mo one of the great things about being from a campus with a strong history of social action is that we don't limit it to just one part of campus. It's everywhere on campus. You know, I think about, um, I think first of all, the kneeling I think is great. I think it's great when our players do it. I think it's great when they use their platforms to express their social views, um, to, to show up at protests like Isaiah Livers did yesterday in Ann Arbor. I think that is phenomenal. You know, I think back to, um, they talked about this with amateurism, going back to the Final Four in 2018, that Michigan was, the players were thinking about not coming out and imagine what that would do to the Final Four to say, we're having a protest. It's a 14-minute delay, but imagine um, what it shows in terms of student athletes and their power over this whole corrupted system. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of protest is fantastic. And I think that is the, uh, it is a great role for student athletes. You know, I think being an 18 to 22 year old kid is tough. I think being in the spotlight is tough. And I think expressing your views in the spotlight is even tougher. Um, you know, it's, it, it's it, even as a publicly elected official, I get it all the time and I'm 35. I, I, I can take it. Um, I, I, you know, hearing from these athletes when they get it for dropping a pass here or, you know, missing a shot there, it can put them in another more uncomfortable light. But I think at this time, um, they had, they understand way more than the previous generations did that they have that sort of power. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think the, one of the most interesting, and I, I'm sure you watched the Michael Jordan documentaries. And I, I thought Michael's comments about how he wasn't going to get involved in social activism were totally foreign to the athletes that are coming yeah. up today. Definitely. That there, I can't see an athlete, whether on our campus or somewhere else, who wouldn't want to use that microphone. We see it all the time now. Uh, and I saw that from student athletes posting on Twitter that they couldn't believe it. It was almost like it was from a different, you know, century. Um, and I think that's a really great thing. And I think that's only going to continue to grow as students understand that they have, you know, the name, image, and likeness rights, that they have a huge platform, whether it's on social media or whether it's elsewhere, and they're going to use it. And so encouraging them to do it uh, in a way that's productive, in a way that gets their message out in a uh, is really great. I, I, uh, I like it when student when student athletes talk about their views. I think it's 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 a great part of the culture of college athletics, and I hope it continues to grow. Well, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think sometimes we we tend to think of athletes as they were in the Michael Jordan era, where it was not okay to speak out and it was not okay to put me over we as a team. And so in this day and age, when athletes come to campus, they come with thousands of followers on Instagram and, and, and they've already been comfortable expressing their views and they're, they're, they want to express their views. So I think um, campuses like Michigan, who, who really want to lead in this area, can help other athletes and even coaches be able to express their own First Amendment rights to have an opinion on some of these topics. No, it, it's definitely right. And, you know, when you're a coach, you have to be a little bit more careful. Um, and I think most of them are, uh, at least on our campus, they understand they have a different role. They're, you know, employed by the university and it, and uh, some of them are very high paid. So they, you know, they have a, a, a different sort of responsibility. But when it comes to student athletes, the first part of it is students. Right. And one of the greatest parts of our students is that they are so active. 
Um, and I, I wouldn't expect a student athlete to do any different, even if they have to play on Saturday. You know, and I, I think that is one of the great, great parts of our campus. And one of the things that will continue to make our university great is having student athletes that are just as committed to social justice as the rest of our students. Jordan, I love your passion. I really Thank do. You. <laughs> I, I just love how, how um, forward thinking you are on so many of these issues. And you're absolutely right. There need to be more folks young folks, if you will, who need to be on regents and boards and trustees. And I'm hopeful that you've given people an opportunity to think about that. Yeah, I, I have. And I, I will leave you with this. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I have taken from this whole experience is that you're absolutely right, that it's not necessarily about age, young or old. Um, it's more about forward thinking. Uh, these roles uh, are, are really important. People don't realize how important they are until something horrific happens, like what happened up in East Lansing. But uh, people who are in the roles need to be thinking about what the university looks like 20 years from now. How do we continue to advance the school? How do we continue to advance college athletics 20 years from now? And don't be afraid to, to run. Don't be afraid to mix it up. Don't be afraid to express your views. Um, you know, that's what you're there for. I found for me that people elected me to be outspoken and that you know sometimes they're not gonna like what I say and sometimes they will. But ultimately, if I've moved the university forward, uh, th then I've done my job. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for taking time today to spend with me and my listeners on the podcast. And I hope we can have you back sometime in the future. Absolutely, and go blue. <laughs>